Whenever I move to a new place, I make sure to pack my favorite photo. One of me and my mom on my first day of kindergarten. I'm holding a red balloon that my teacher gave me, and we're outside of the school building. My mom is kneeling down in her pencil skirt and black blazer, and I'm looking away in my navy pants, gray sweater, and the same hairstyle I have now, blunt bangs, long, flowy hair. When I was little, my mom was my rock. She held our family, my little brother and I, together through the moves, the bad relationships, and the abandonments. Most of the photos I have from my childhood are ones of me and my mom, hugging at my seventh birthday at Chuck E. Cheese, hugging as she paints my face for Halloween. So I carry that photo as a reminder, as a reminder of the strength my mom carries, of the strength that maybe one day I will learn to carry. Throughout my trip to Aquasesne, I felt like I was blindly memorializing a man who rattled the way my mom had pictured herself raising a family. My father was Mohawk, so I traveled to the land of our ancestors to learn more about them. I spent time asking people about his namesake, trying to learn more about who he was and what he left behind. But he had never been to Aquasesne. He enrolled by filling out a form online and mailing it in. His family was long gone from there, and I had nothing but maybe first cousins twice, three times. How, how many times can you be removed? And maybe some random connections there through connections of my own from people I knew from college. So, towards the end of the trip, I started to consider the other side of the story. The one left out of this tribute tour that I had decided to take. How did my mom feel about me taking this trip? Why did my father abandon me and my family anyway? Does his other family know about us? Did he ever think about us? What did I actually get from him? Do I resemble him? Did he love us? This trip to Aquasesne felt as if I was gripping at straws. Sure. It's enriching to walk the ground where your ancestors once were. It's great to make sure you don't lose that history that was whitewashed. It's fascinating. But that wasn't why I decided to drive 20 plus hours to go to this reservation. I wanted answers. And frankly, I got shit. Driving back from that trip, I started to realize that maybe, just maybe, it was really unrealistic to assume that I would find the answers to my questions there. That maybe I had gone to Aquasesne simply because at the time it seemed like the safest option. My mom explodes whenever we bring my father up and then she claims she isn't angry. I can't ask her these questions. My father's family might not actually know we exist. So clearly I can't safely reach out to them. But driving back from Aquasesne, I also realized that if I wanted these answers, I had to be strong. I had to confront the only person I could. Do you want to know the real story? Okay, let's go. It's go time. I had to finally stop hiding from her resentment and her anger. Her understandable resentment and anger and literally force my mom to sit down with me. 
Hi, I'm Sam Sabin, and this is Good Grief, the show about reconnecting with the past and my attempts to make up for lost time. If this is your first time tuning in, stop and start at episode one. It's really important. This is episode four, Mom. Before we dive into my conversation with my mom, we need to backtrack just a bit. Up until now, my mom hasn't been a full-fledged character in this story. Yet, she's the biggest reason why I made this show. Side note, hi mom, how's it going? You're not gonna like this, it's chill. Love you, thank you. Okay, going back to the show now. (laughs) Growing up, my family was just me my little brother, and my mom. Eventually, my mom got married when I was around 10 to a man I had known since I was eight. But until then, in my most formative childhood years, it was just the three of us. Frankly, I didn't question it then because, frankly, we didn't talk about my father. Once he was gone, it wasn't even as if he were dead to us. He just didn't exist. Bring up my father around my household when I was growing up, my mom would call him a sperm donor dad. Or, if we were feeling particularly spicy that night, we might call him a piece of shit. (laughs) The entire family was in on it, laughing around the table or living room, just calling him a piece of shit sperm donor dad who did nothing. Honestly, you would have never guessed that we were bothered by it, despite the fact that the minute my biological father left, my mom was faced with the daunting task of raising two children by herself, trying to figure out how to afford to feed us, buy her birthday and Christmas presents, and how to take care of us when she was stuck traveling for work. If you couldn't guess, that's why she's so angry, so resentful, so reluctant to talk to me about my father. Honestly, that bothered me. I had always been told growing up that I was just like my mother. And unlike some people I know, I embraced that. My mom is strong. She raised two children on her own, found time to date, and never took shit at work. My mom's biggest weakness is probably cookout milkshakes. And honestly, if I had to have one weakness in life, I would want it to be cookout milkshakes. We wear each other's shoes when we go out. We've even been told that we have the same exact dialect. Honest to God, one of the things my mom suggested as a way of avoiding this interview was that I just record both sides of the conversation myself. What's it matter? We sound alike anyway. She was joking. But still, you get the point. So for me, understanding my mom's single-parent life mattered. Understanding the root of it mattered even more, especially now. My mom, she was two months shy of 22 when I was born. Me? I'm 22 now. And up until this conversation, I didn't even know how my parents had met or what she saw in him. I never understood how this had happened to someone so young. How someone could just ignore an ex's role in their life. How someone could seem so okay with what life dealt them. 
at least on the surface. Well, now I know. And of note, my little brother joined us in our conversation. A true family reunion. story okay let's go do you want us to know yeah I think you should know so that you can stop delving into who he was the first date we went out on I'm 18 and two months and he pummeled an entire bottle of wine down me and took advantage of me great but when you're single and drinking and you're getting everything paid for you and they're buying you clothes and all sorts of shit you think it's exciting and fun but then when you decide to settle down with that fucker and you have a child then you realize holy fuck he's like 13 years older than me but he's a fucking infant who's drinking every night and i'm raising a kid all fucking by myself casa maria was like the biggest thing going because it was at part of Garden St. Plaza Mall, and that's where you could find him every single day from four o'clock on. It was so bad that I literally passed the fuck out in the claw tub shower in my apartment and hit my head. Just you and me were home, and back in the day there weren't cell phones, so I had to beep him with a 911 when I came to, and I'm like, please come home. I can't even stay awake any longer. I literally just passed out. And guess what time he came home that night? Yeah, I still remember this. 22 years ago? 3. 3 a.m. Ha. (laughs) 3 fucking a.m. That's what time they always come home in these stories. Still have no clue that he's really still married to someone else. So I don't know what that woman or those kids are going through at this point, but he's sharing a life. So anyway... It's going to be a great podcast. I can't wait to listen to it. Mom, do you have any questions? No, I really don't have any questions. I know all about them. Anything that mom needs to tell us? What are his health problems? I don't know. Because I don't think anything he's ever told me has been true. So... Which one of us looks like him? Both of you. I was going to say, if she was bald and I was bald, we look the same. No, we don't. You can tell we're related. You can tell you're related. But I think we outgrew that phase where we looked alike. If you had lighter hair, you'd look less like your dad. Who, Sam? Mm-hmm. Like, if you had Dylan's hair color or a lighter brown, you mean you like my natural you? brown, you would not look as much like him. I think the reason why... Your grandmother insists that you look just like him is because you have the same hair color. You don't have any questions? No. About what it was like for... Because at the end of the day, he left. He never came back. So, you know, not my problem. He was never here. Not not my problem. Interesting. I don't know why you had so many questions. Why did you have all these questions? Why didn't I have all these questions? What questions do you have, Don? None. I don't believe you. I have none. Don, who's your daddy? (laughs) <laughs> do you have any memories of your biological father oh yeah there was one time he came to a baseball game when we lived in North Carolina but that's about it you want to tell me more about that I don't remember I was remember that the last came. time you saw him yeah because he promised me a NASCAR thing and never came back I tried to scream and I yelled and I ran away and then they told me it was too late so I had to talk to him while you were playing baseball 
You don't remember this? What? I saw his truck and I ran away. He had a truck? He didn't have a truck. Yeah, he had a Pepsi truck. No, he didn't. Oh, probably, he probably It was like a actually. van thing. But he drove this beat up piece of shit car, so it seemed like he had no money. Anytime I ever contacted him, he always thought it was about money, so immediately he'd be like, I don't have a job. It's a lot of wine. Yeah, you poured out heavy glass. <laughs> so you guys, so he went from stalker mode, then you were stalker mode? No, I wasn't stalker mode. It it's was different. after I got engaged, and I knew I was moving to Charlotte. And I started searching for him because I had heard that he moved. And I found his address online and I sent a letter to his house. And so then he called me and your dad and I met your dad. That'll be confusing. At Starbucks. Ooh. On 51. And um, it was super awkward. Because he wouldn't stop staring at me, and Dad did most of the talking to your real dad, because I was just sitting there, like, wanting to punch his face off. And we basically told him that we were getting married, and that we know that he hasn't been in your lives for, like, a good chunk of time, but since we're literally going to be 45 minutes away, if he wanted to have a relationship with you guys, we'd be more than willing to start that dialogue. And then your dad asked if your real dad ever told his wife about you guys. And he said, yeah. And I was like, bullshit. Because, like, none of the conversations after that were anything about you going to stay with him or you going to his house or anything like that. It was all like, oh, Dylan plays baseball. Maybe I could swing by one of his games. Oh, Samantha dances. Maybe I could go. And we're like, no, you can't, like, watch her dancing. Like, no, you drop her off. Like, there's no, like, viewing room. But everything was, like, super not going to his house. So that's when I was like, yeah, you never even told her. You guys didn't really want anything to do with him. It was extremely awkward. And um, after you guys saw him at the baseball field, I never heard from him again. You're causing too much commotion. Yeah, well, you started all this motion. Working up a hole. Because I have daddy issues and I need to work them out. What daddy issues? The only dad I know is going upstairs. See, that's a whole lot of daddy issues just in that sentence. Maybe Dylan's too young for daddy issues. He was like two. You were like four. I was like five. A young five. Like yeah, but the whole still around there. The school did not continue the whole school year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was still young enough to recognize when he was gone. Dylan was probably like, "Oh, I just learned your name. I guess I'll forget it." It was because the fall of 1999. Nine. Yeah. Because I switched schools after kindergarten. You didn't really move a lot. Not as much as some people, but it was enough. Okay, school age, you moved twice. Uh Uh-uh. Three times. Uh Uh-uh. So I moved after kindergarten, after, in the beginning of second grade, so after first grade. And then third? No. You moved after after kindergarten. Yeah, I did. No. I lived in Garfield. I had 
Yeah, I you did. You I went to first grade when we were living with Mitch. Right. Right, so we moved after kindergarten. Right, but, like, you didn't keep moving. Like, you moved t- three times. Okay, so I transferred schools, which in little kid memories, that's moving. I don't know all the specifics. I was, like, five. Right, I'm just like, oh, I'm here. Here I'm going. I'm doing me. I'm not talking to people because who knows how long I'm staying. <laughs> okay. You also, are... people scare me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they There's just keep leaving. Answer. No. Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. You moved after kindergarten to Clifton. Yeah. You were in Clifton for three years. Three school years. No. First, second, third grade. No. We yes. moved. No, because second and third grade, we were in West Milford. And in fourth and fifth grade, we were definitely here. But it was the last school in New Jersey that I was there for two years. It was after you pulled, like, second we had to move. Grade. We had to move in the first month of second grade. No, I don't question it. I'm not like, how dare you do this to me? But... In first grade, you were not making friends. No. You'd moved once. Yeah. So and you I'd been abandoned. Have... Really? Yeah. Okay, when I... T- I think you take this all personally. When I tell you... Because I lived it when you were a child, and your memories are, like, so distorted, you never asked about him. Do you know why? Yeah, why would I? So you, how could you possibly, at that point in your life, when you were six years old, feel abandoned when you were never even asking where he was? Because I was already used to him being like, hi, I'm here. And then I'm like, all right. And then it's like, bye, I'm gone. I'm like, but right. how? But how does that translate into, Something happened. I'm in first grade and I'm not going to make friends because my dad abandoned me. Because people are fleeting. Did you cry when he died? Yeah. I didn't. See, I think it's an age difference. No, at the end of the day, who the fuck was he? Do I know? Do I care? Half of your genes are his. Do I give a fuck? Hell no. No one ever called you Hispanic? Like, to Dylan's point, though, he didn't do a fucking thing for you. Yeah. Like, not one thing ever in your entire goddamn life. So why does it even matter? It's It's like, not like... But like we were six, and then he left us, or seven, then he left us. I was he five. Left I was like two months old. Okay, but you were five. He literally. What are your memories of him? Other than leave. him walking, I was five. But he didn't leave when you were five. Like he was never there. He left when I was like two months old. He literally was never there. I have memories from when I was five. Christmas, yeah, of you and him walking to school. Yeah, and him yelling at me when I was coloring on the walls. Okay, and what else? Eh. Okay, and what else before that? Do you remember any Christmases with them? But why does it matter? I think it's the lack of memories that matters. I think it's trying to understand this person who left. I don't know. When I was working on the first episode of this show, I was at a workshop at Duke. For about 12 hours a day, five days in a row, I edited the first episode, pitched ideas to experienced editors, and got feedback from my peers. On the third day of edits, an editor walked me through all the stages of the show. Because, you know, you can't think about a pilot without thinking about where you're heading. 
Halfway through, she told me I'd need to do more reporting, more research. I should question my mom a bit more. I should reach out to my father's family that maybe knew about me, maybe didn't. Talking to my mom here, it was clear she didn't know much more than me. She knew why she decided to fall in love with him. She knew the obstacles she faced when she decided to kick him out. She knew he lied. A lot. So who even knew if his family knew about us? In my mom's strength is the anger I once had. Before my father's death, he would see me saying things like what my brother said. At the end of the day, he left and never came back. Sometimes, I still hold that anger. But in grief, I was shown the questions I've always had. My mom didn't have all of the answers, only some, which was, which was fine. So, as I hemmed and hawed over how to get the rest of those answers, as an editor suggested, I do more research. That research fell into my lap. That very minute, I opened Facebook and saw three friend requests, one from each of my half-brothers. Turns out, they did know about me after all. Good Grief is an independent production by me, Sam Sabin. Editing help for this episode comes from Lydia Thompson and Rachel Wolf. Theme music by Indian Wells. Other music in this episode by C. Scott. This podcast is funded partially by the UNC Creative Writing Program and the Bulch family. Special thanks to my family for letting me record them, especially in this episode, and my friends for putting up with my anxieties and being my greatest editors. Also, special thanks to the DC Public Library Studio Lab for letting me record here. On the next episode. Hello, recorder. It is me, Sam. Um, Unless you guessed that already, which I hope you did, recorder, because I'm the only one that uses you. Um, I am about to drive home from meeting my fucking half-brothers. Like, how did this happen? Wow. I start learning about the men who knew my father as a father. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe. You can find Good Grief on iTunes and wherever else you listen to podcasts. You can also find this podcast and more episode extras at goodgriefpodcast.com. Be sure to like the show on Facebook and follow it on Twitter. Just search Good Grief Podcast. I promise it will come up. Also, in case you missed it, now, 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 now. <laughs> Good Grief has been in the news. What a time. Uh, you can listen to me, Sam Sabin, in case you missed it. Explain how I made this show, the struggles with talking to family, and the discomfort of showing up to a native reservation and saying, hey, what, how's it going? I'm a part of this. Uh, please teach me on both the Podcast Digest and NPR's The Big Listen. And be on the lookout for a few more mentions coming in the next month or so. So, you know, be sure to like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter. Thanks for listening.